Well, let's, uh, let's jump back into our sermon series on the book of Genesis we're calling Beginnings, and we're up to chapter 3, The Flood. It's always an exciting uh, story to read about, and, you know, we've, we've heard that story, you know, since we were a little kid, uh, and so let's talk about the flood. You know, for all of history, <clears throat> floods have been a part of nature that has brought probably more human suffering than any other event that we might experience or that mankind has experienced. You know, more, more people have died from devastating floods than died from the atomic bombs of Hiroshima and Nagasaki uh, or the devastating destruction of World War I and World War II. You know, e each year throughout history, flooding has wiped out whole towns, uh, destroyed crops, it's destroyed people's homes, it's killed livestock, and of course, it's taken human lives. Um, the deadly tsunami in the Indian Ocean that uh, many of us remember back in 2004 killed over 300,000 people. Uh, the tsunami of 1645 B.C., <laughs> uh, if you can remember that far back, in ancient Greece killed over 100,000 people. Here in eastern North Carolina, we know firsthand what floods can do and uh, the, the, the havoc that they can wreak. Uh, many of you have, ex have experienced loss or damage of property from flooding that was caused by a hurricane or a torrential rain. Um, I mean, who can forget the damage done by Hurricane Floyd back in 1999 uh, that destroyed whole neighborhoods right here in Wilson, uh, neighborhoods that were never rebuilt. If you go over to Toysnot Park, I mean, that, that whole park was filled with, with apartments, and they're all gone, and they were never rebuilt. One reason floods are so dangerous is because unlike other types of storms, you can't just hunker down and, and ride it out in your home. Uh, you, you, you can't hide in the closet or down in the basement until the storm passes, because if you do, you could drown uh, if the flood gets bad enough. Uh, the only place you can go at home is up on the roof, and then if the water goes higher than that, then there's nowhere else to go. You know, floods are, are one of the most damaging parts of this fallen world that we all live in, and, and they have existed, uh, floods have existed ever since God brought the very first flood that he used to destroy the earth and almost all living things in it. In our study so far uh, of the first book of the Bible, Genesis, we've seen uh, God create from nothing the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth. Uh, on the earth, God created the sky, the oceans, the continents. And there he created the birds that fly in the air, the creatures that swim in the sea, the animals that roam across the land. And we saw him create in his own image man and woman, Adam and Eve. God created Adam from the ground and breathed life into his nostrils. He then created Eve from one of Adam's ribs and, and called them to go forth and multiply. They were given the beautiful, perfect Garden of Eden to live in, including the tree of life. They had one restriction in the garden. They were not allowed to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were warned that if they did, they would surely die. 
And for a while, we don't know how long, but for a while, everything was indeed perfect for Adam and Eve. There were no hardships, no pain, no suffering, no sin, no evil, no death. For a while, it was truly paradise. But then, as we saw last week uh, in chapter 2, Satan got involved, and, uh, or chapter 3, uh, Satan got involved and tempted both Eve and Adam to consider what they were missing out on by not being able to eat that forbidden fruit that God told them to stay away from. He convinced them that they could not be satisfied if they didn't, did not know good and evil like God did. Uh, he lied. Satan lied to Adam and Eve uh, and told them that if they ate the forbidden fruit, they surely would not die as God had told them they would. So both uh, man and woman, Adam and Eve, ate the fruit. They took a bite. And both of them were instantly introduced to something they'd never known before, evil. The first sign of it was the fact that they felt shame because they were naked. Even though they had been naked all along, for the first time they felt shame. They hid from God, and when God confronted them, confronted them both of them tried to place the blame for their sin on someone or something else. God gave punishments to both Adam and Eve, even to the snake. <laughs> and, and then he banished Adam and Eve from this beautiful, perfect garden, which meant they could no longer eat fruit from the tree of life, which meant that now they would die. In the next couple of chapters, following the fall in chapter 3, we see sin take hold of Adam and his family and all of mankind that followed them. In chapter 4, we see Adam and Eve's son Cain murder his brother Abel. You would think that being kicked out of that beautiful garden like Adam and Eve were, that that would make such a profound effect on everybody uh, that you know they would straighten up and they would live like God wanted them to live. Surely Cain and Abel heard the story of how it happened and, and the mistake that they made, uh, yet it still did not prevent Cain from acting out a jealous rage and killing his own brother. Cain was punished by being driven away from his family, and his work, his work was made even harder. <clears throat> As we see Cain wander in, uh, in, in the, the wilderness, uh, it, it tells us that he built the very first city. And you know what happens in cities, right? Uh, that's where a lot of the crime happens and a lot of, a lot of sin happens. We see Cain's offspring, his great, 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 grandson Lamech become the first polygamist and, and he even became a greater murderer than his grandfather Cain. We also see Adam and Eve's third son born in chapter 4, Seth. Seth then began to produce children and his line grew and grew. People back then lived much longer than they, than they do now. They lived to almost, uh, many of them, almost to a thousand years it's hard to imagine, isn't it, to live a thousand years. Didn't take long when you lived that long for the population to, 
to just grow and expand. And, and with this expansion came more and more sin. By chapter 6 in Genesis, we see where God is as he watches his creation move farther and farther away from the perfection that existed before Adam and Eve disobeyed them. Let's read Genesis 6, verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. You know, after at least 10 generations, maybe even more, probably even more, uh, from the fall in the garden, mankind had fallen so far from God that God can find nothing good in their hearts. Nothing. Every inclination of the thoughts in their hearts was evil all the time. You know, it wasn't an occasional evil thought or uh, mostly evil thoughts. It was all evil thoughts all the time. And of course, these evil thoughts translated naturally into evil actions. In Genesis 6, verse 11, God said that the earth was corrupt and full of violence. You know, one of the most common expressions of evil is corruption and violence. You know, people who are evil care about one thing, themselves. They don't care about other people. The value of life is not important to them. They only care about themselves and will do anything to get what they want. Uh, they will still cheat harass, hurt, terrorize. They will kill whatever it takes to get what they want. Corruption and violence were everywhere committed by everyone. No life was valued except your own. You remember those movies uh, with Kurt Russell, Escape from New York and Escape from L.A.? Uh, the, the depiction of those places were dark and violent cities that were commanded and controlled by just evil, evil people. You know, that's what all civilization was uh, back in that time, except it was much, much worse because it was everywhere, and it wasn't a movie, it was real. You know, it's pretty obvious that God was completely disgusted with what his creation had become, and especially what his prize creation, mankind, had become. This was his initial reaction to it. Verse 6 and 7 of chapter 6, the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. Have you ever regretted something that you bought? Uh, you know, like that uh, exercise machine that you use to hang your clothes on now. Um, the ad on, t on late night TV was so motivating. With this machine, in six short weeks, you could look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. It was guaranteed. So you shelled out the 500 bucks, uh, and you, you used it three times, and now you're trying to figure out how you can get rid of it. 
It's, it's nice for hanging clothes, but it sure takes up a lot of space. You know, that's what God was doing with mankind. He was trying to figure out how to get rid of them. <laughs> At least that was his first reaction. And it sure looks like that he would have done it. Yet one thing stopped God from getting rid of mankind. He looked around at all the corruption and all of the evil, and God found one man, one man who was being faithful, Noah. While every other human being on earth disgusted God, verse 8 says, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. You know, sometimes churches are tempted, uh, when they're tempted by the lure of large crowds, you know, we like lots of people to show up at an event. You know, uh, we, we only want to hold an event if lots of people will show up. Sometimes if only two kids sign up to go to camp, uh, it's tempting to just cancel. You know, it's, there's not enough people to make it worthwhile. Uh, but you know what? I have come to the opinion that large crowds don't always equal success. You know, sometimes more blessings can be found in just a few. If those two kids go to camp and one or both of them end up accepting the Lord because there's just more focus on, on just them, uh, you know, could there be a greater victory than that, even if it was just two kids? You know, when God saw corruption and violence everywhere, evil all the time in every heart, ready to completely destroy his creation, he found hope in one heart, the heart of Noah. With Noah, God saw that he could try creation again. God had complete control over everything in the universe except for one thing, one thing the hearts of mankind. And he could have had control of that too if he wanted to. God could have made us puppets. He could have made us, in moder more modern terms, uh, a computer, a robot that is programmed to be perfect, to always make the right choice, to always choose to worship and to serve him. But what good would that be if we were just computers, if we were just robots? What good would that be? I mean, think about it. Which would you prefer in a child? A child who loves you because he chooses to love you? Or a child who loves you because he's just programmed to do it? He doesn't really love you. It's just part of his program. Of course, we would all rather have a child that chooses to love us from his heart. You know, well, as human parents, um, our behavior has, does have something to do with whether or not a child loves us or not and how much they love us. You know, since we're, we humans uh, as parents are not perfect, our imperfections can sometimes affect our child's love for us, like if we're abusive or uh, if, we, if there's abandonment or neglect involved. That can affect the way a child might love us. But God, our Father in heaven, is perfect. His behavior has always been perfect. Perfect. God provided everything Adam and Eve could possibly need or want. And his relationship with them was perfect. There was no, absolutely no reason for anyone to choose not to love and serve God. 
Yet God gave, the, uh, gave them the ability to choose whether to serve him or not, and they chose to not serve him. And so do we. So do we sometimes. You and I uh, still serve that very same perfect Father in heaven that Adam and Eve served. Think about that. It's the very same God that Adam and Eve served. And our logical, practical, common sense mind tells us that it was ridiculous (laughs) for Adam and Eve to choose to disobey God. What what were they thinking? thinking i mean how stupid can you be adam and eve and we say that while we are in the motion of doing the exact same thing choosing to disobey to disappoint to disgust our perfect father in heaven as we can see from genesis the genesis narrative god is so disappointed when you and i do that Yet, although it's been close a few times, God has never given up on us choosing to love and serve Him. All it takes, apparently, is just one faithful person, one faithful person to give God hope for a faithful people. You know, for the first era of creation... Uh, God tried to deal with all of mankind on the earth as a whole, everyone. Uh, and his first attempt to made, motivate us to, be, to choose to be faithful failed. Not because God failed, but because we failed to, to choose him. God decided then to, to give it one more shot. <laughs> one more shot for mankind to choose him. And this time starting with, Noah. So he went to Noah with his plan. Genesis 6, 11 through 14. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put uh, an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both men and the, both them and the earth. So make for yourself an ark of cypress wood. Now, okay, Noah, here's the plan. I, I got a plan for you. I want you to, I want you to be the first one to hear. Uh, the earth is corrupt. The earth is filled with violence and evil. And I've had enough of it. And I'm going to destroy everything that I've created. I'm going to just wipe it out, the earth and the people. Now, now right here, it, it must have been a pretty shocking moment for Noah as God's telling him this. So Noah just listens to God's plan. Uh, he's going to destroy the earth and everything in it, all the people. But before Noah could ask, does that include me? <laughs> You know, by the way, I, I never realized it, but no spoken word of Noah is ever recorded in the Bible. I never, I never knew that. I never thought about it. Noah never speaks, or at least his words are never recorded. Uh, he only listens and acts. Uh, so maybe God doesn't give him a chance to say anything. He's just talking and telling him, and, and, and Noah's just lifting, li- listening. 
Uh, and he just keeps right on with the plan. He says to Noah, I'm going to destroy everything. You make for yourself an ark. And before Noah could ask, well, what's an ark? <laughs> God tells him. And he gives Noah the dimensions. He gives him the, the layout. He gives him the purpose of the ark. Verse 17 and 18. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you will enter the ark. You and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You know, I can see Noah several times uh, ready to ask a question. You know, he's like, but, but I, can I? <laughs> but then God just seems to answer all the questions here. And before he can ask what the ark is for, God answers him. The, the ark that you, that you will build is what I'm going to use to save you and your family. And some of the animals and birds as well. So that when everything is destroyed, we can start all over again with you, Noah. The text gives no reaction from Joe, Noah other than this, verse 22. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Now, does that mean that Noah had no questions, no concerns? No, not at all. No, no. He, he likely did have questions. He likely did have concerns that he asked. They're just not recorded for us. But the overall image of Noah is, is what God found so favorable about, about Noah. He served God and trusted him, so he immediately started construction on the ark. How long did it take to build the ark? Well, the Bible doesn't really say. Um, but using the age of the people that are involved and uh, the construction time, many scholars feel that it ranges anywhere from 20 years to 75 years to, to even over 100 years. You know, we've all imagined that people uh, laughed at Noah, you know, when he was building his ark in the middle of nowhere and, and his claims that the whole world is going to be destroyed by a flood. I've always imagined that, or for, for the longest time, I thought it was in the Bible somewhere that, that they were laughing at him. Uh, but it's really not. We just assume that that's what they were doing. But here's what Jesus said about the people during those years of construction. Luke chapter 17, 26, 27. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. <laughs> if Noah warned them, and I'm sure he did, they didn't listen. They just continued in their lifestyles. They continued in their sin. Noah and his family and all the animals entered the ark. God closed and sealed the door and then released the waters from the deep and from the sky. And the first ever flood, the flood that destroyed everything on earth except who, those who were safely in the ark, began. Now let's look at verse 21 through 24. Every living thing that moved 
on land perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth, and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Everything, every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. The, the waters flooded the earth for 150 days. As we uh, look at uh, this, this narrative, we, and again, thinking about ages and, and the, 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 the numbers that, that sort of add up, it looks like Noah and his family were on the ark for about a year. And during that time, every living creature and every, and, and we assume every living plant was destroyed. No life from God's first creation was left. None. The devastating flood had done its job. Eventually, the water receded to the point where the ark came to rest on a mountain. And then, when it was safe, Noah and his family and all the animals were finally able to emerge from the ark and begin again. All of the corruption, all of the violence, all the people on earth who were guilty of this corruption and violence and this evil, they were all dead. It was all wiped out. Now Noah and his family had a chance to try again. They had a chance to do what the others before them had failed to do, to choose to serve God. Would it work this time? <laughs> nope. No, no, it did not work. At first, there was some hope. Verse 20 and 21 of chapter 8. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. You know, Noah was faithful. He wasn't perfect, but he was faithful, and after the flood, he continued to be faithful. Yet, while God was very pleased with Noah and with this beautiful aroma from the sacrifice that he had offered, he knew what was going to happen. Verse 21, the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. God knew that with sin in the hearts of every man and woman, God knew that the result was going to be the same. Now, why did he even bother <laughs> with starting over again, if he knew the results would be the same? We don't know. We don't know. Maybe we can ask him one day. I'm sure God is just an eternal optimist in the ultimate sense. Maybe he just wanted to give mankind just one more chance, just one more chance to do it right. But in the end, God knew what the result would be. Mankind cannot, cannot save himself. He cannot consistently choose to obey God and to serve God. So now it's time for plan B, or maybe this is plan C, or maybe I should call it plan G, G for grace. 
You know, if mankind can't stop separating himself from me with his sin, I will offer him a way to escape the separation by providing someone to be separated for him in his place. No longer will he have to be perfect to be saved. He can't do that. It's impossible. He would only have to put his faith and his trust in the one who would be punished in his place, a Savior. So, new plan from God. No longer will God try to work with all of mankind, the whole earth, trying to get all of mankind to serve him. This time, God said, I'll work through one man, one family, one nation. Through them will a Savior come for all. You know, as faithful as Noah was, he was the most faithful person on earth at that time. Imagine that. As faithful as Noah was, he still, even Noah, could not avoid separation from God because he wasn't perfect. He still sinned. It would take a Savior even for Noah, even for Noah. Noah was able to choose to serve God. He wasn't perfect, but he did choose to serve God. Uh, He did not choose, as others did, to be corrupt and violent. And you and I as Christians, even though we're saved by Jesus uh, from eternal separation caused by the sin that we commit, God still wants you and me to be like Noah. He wants us to to live a life so that when he looks down at our lives, like he looked down at Noah's life, our lives can be pleasing to his eyes. He wants to find favor in the way we live, the way we love and serve him, the way we love and serve others. You and I have an an advantage that Noah didn't have. You and I have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. God was up in heaven, and he spoke to Noah occasionally, but you and I have God living inside of us, the Holy Spirit. And as Christians, we really have no excuse for living in sin. Now, we're going to sin, and we're going to fall and make mistakes. We all do, but there's no excuse for us to live in it. With the fruit of the Holy Spirit that every Christian has the ability to produce because the Holy Spirit is ready to produce it in our lives. You and I have the the real ability to be like Noah, but even better, even better. Paul wrote to the Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 25, and, and lists the fruit that the Holy Spirit can and will produce in our lives if we'll let him. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Imagine a world... Um, where everyone produced that fruit, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Imagine a world where, where everyone walked in step with the Holy Spirit. 
what a different world it would be. What a different world it would be. And we can do it because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Here's the take home for you and me today. Recognize a couple of things. Recognize how God feels about sin. We talked about that last week. Let's, let's reiterate it again today. Listen, God destroyed the whole earth with a flood because of sin. That's how he feels about sin. He doesn't take it lightly and neither should we. Secondly, recognize how much God loves you. He gave his own life so that we could be forgiven of our sin because he knows that we can't be perfect. And thirdly, recognize that God wants to look down at our lives just like he looked down at Noah's life. He wants to look down at our lives, our lives that he gave his grace to and forgiveness to, and he wants to see a life that brings favor to his eyes. A life that uses the power of the Spirit to just rid sin from our lives. It is possible. It's possible. But it takes a willingness for you and me to yield our lives to the Holy Spirit, to give him control, to say every, every day, uh, Holy Spirit, it's all yours. It's all yours today. So let's listen to the Holy Spirit that's in us and let's allow him to help us be like Noah and even better. Noah was all by himself. Noah didn't have any help. Uh, there's no indication that his sons or his daughter-in-laws or his wife were, were of any particular help. The Bible only says that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So Noah was all by himself with no help. But you and I, boy, that's different from us. You and I have so much more than he had. We have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. God living inside of us that can help us produce that beautiful fruit that he makes available. We have each other in the body of Christ. It's been a little challenging this past year uh, during this, this, uh, this time uh, when we can't be together and we can't go visit each other and we can't get together for, for fellowship and encouragement and, and, and study and we can't reach out to the community as, as much as we'd like to. It's been a little challenging, but hopefully that's going to that's gonna change real soon. We can still get together like at our Zoom lobbies and our prayer time Tuesday night and our study on Wednesday. We can still get together if we, if we do that. Uh, but we have each other in the body of Christ. We can give each other a call to see how we're doing and we can reach out to someone if we need something. We have each other. And we have something Noah didn't have. We have the written word of God. We can, if we want to know what God wants, what his will is, we can just open it up and, and read it. Noah didn't have that. With all of that help, may you and I react as Noah did and, and seek to love and serve God and love and serve each other. And like Noah do all that the Lord commands us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the example of Noah. Boy, what a strong man he must have been to be able to not just join in with all that was going on around him. Uh, we, 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 it, it, he must have just been a special person. 
in, in so many ways because he did not have the Holy Spirit. It was all on him. But yet somehow he remained faithful enough to catch your attention. And so, Lord, I just pray that, that we can be more like him, that we can, uh, with the Holy Spirit that is inside of each of us, you can help us to stop ignoring him and yield to him and wake up every morning and say, you're in charge and be the kind of person uh, that you want us to be, uh, to be like Noah. And you look down at our lives and, and you smile because you, our life brings favor to you. May we be uh, the Noah of today. And not just one person, but thousands and millions of us. And, and, and those of us here at Stony Brook, uh, uh, just our group and our circle around us, our neighbors and coworkers and friends and fellow students and family. So, Father, thank you for the help that you give us in your spirit, in your body, in your word, so that we can be more like Noah. Thank you, Father. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.